as we return again to these blessed words of the Lord's Prayer, I want us to take this brief step backwards and consider further what the Lord Jesus intends for us when he tells us in verse 2, when you pray, say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And let me read these words in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples to pray. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. These words, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. What does it mean to hallow the name of God? What does it mean to hallow the name of God? In my Greek dictionary, this word hallow characterizes a form and a measure of holiness and of righteousness and purity and sanctification that's far beyond, far beyond any measure that our human minds can conceive of. And it's an expression that is usually reserved only for God and God alone. And as Jesus gives us these words, hallowed be thy name, He intends these words to have a twofold meaning. First, to express who God really is. Who God really is. And then to also define for us this very special response that you and I are to have towards Him. And Jesus has placed these words, Hallowed be thy name, at the beginning of the prayer because God wants to immediately remind us that Yes, He is our loving and gentle Father. But as as His obedient sons and daughters, we also must never forget for a moment who He really is. But how and why would that ever be a problem for you and me? To not remember who God really is. For several reasons. The first and perhaps the most common reason is just as we have found with our earthly fathers, too often as we go about our days, our sinful flesh can take liberties that we should not take. And we oftentimes become careless and casual and even disrespectful. Has that taken place in your life? Do you recall those moments even back perhaps many years ago in your relationship with your father? You would become callous and disrespectful. Do you see children doing that today with their fathers? Well, folks, the same can also take place with us and God, our Heavenly Father. It's good and it's right, yes, that we do become comfortable and confident in our relationship with God. But within our comfortable relationship, we need to always remain careful and guarded Else we'll make the same mistakes that we make with our earthly fathers. 
and we'll let ourselves drift into some misguided concepts about him and we'll begin to think and to behave in careless and casual and disrespectful ways. How will we recognize when that's taking place? How will we recognize when that's taking place? That our familiarity with God has bred some elements of disrespect. Sometimes it's when we find that most of our prayers have become reduced to little more than just a quick request that's perhaps tossed over our shoulder in haste, much like a college student who comes home between semesters and he wants to spend only enough time with his father to justify asking if he could borrow the pickup truck. How much time do you spend, how much intimate time do you spend with God the Father? Do you do that? Do you spend that time with Him because you want to? You want to have a relationship with Him. Sometimes a lack of reverent respect can also arise during those times when we have these strong emotional difficulties. Perhaps in those moments when a painful circumstances taking place in our life. We become angry with God and we blame Him for our loss. And yes, God does allow His hurting children some liberties, some liberties in the way that we respond during those difficult times. But listen, probably never to the extent that we often go. I recall an instance of this dear lady whose husband died. For several years, she held God responsible and was angry at God for taking her husband from her. Folks, yes, we hurt during times like that. But that kind of disrespect towards the Lord is not permitted. Now, far too often, the problem doesn't begin at a moment like that. It begins back at the beginning when we first have a relationship or begin a relationship with God. Yes, in those earliest moments when we first walk down that aisle, we do very much want and do invite God's presence. And we want all the goodness that He offers to us. All the goodness that we can imagine that He'll provide for us. But too often, similar to that which takes place with a premature baby, Some of the very basic, essential concepts about God fail to develop within us. We are just walking down that aisle because we want to be fixed ourselves. We want whatever the difficulty is in our life to be fixed. And so we walk that aisle primarily for our own benefit. And in those moments, we fail to allow a proper understanding of who God is to mature within us. And it becomes evident, very evident in some of the expressions that seem to spill forth from our mouths in those unguarded moments. Just this past week, you can't imagine how many times that I heard the expression, Oh my God. Or I saw in writing OMG in capital letters. Folks, that's not allowed. That is taking the name of God in vain. There are other times some of my friends who don't seem to have a very strong relationship with the Lord, they will opt out with sayings such as God being the man upstairs. 
or the big guy, the big man upstairs. Now, if we use expressions like those, or we hear other people using expressions like those, they may not intend a disrespect towards God, but they're still not holding His name in high esteem. They are not hallowing His name. Now there's another difficulty that's very noticeable in our modern Christian culture. And that is, there's this lack of biblical understanding of what these scriptures call fear of the Lord. We sing in amazing grace, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear." What a precious grace that was. But in our Christian teachings, so much emphasis is placed upon the love and the mercy and the grace of God, which is good and it's excellent and it's right. But that emphasis is often so strong that it almost completely excludes, even denies the need to also keep a strong sense of the fear of the Lord. Do you have a fear of the Lord resonant within you? You should. You must. And perhaps if you don't, it may be because of so many of the preachers these days in this New Testament era of Christianity. These preachers tell their listeners that fear of the Lord is an antiquated requirement of the Old Testament, of the law. That fear of the Lord should not be a part of our Christian teaching. And they use legitimate verses like 1 John 4. Listen to these. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Now, yes, these words are absolutely true for us. God's perfect love does cast out the fear that we once had because of the sin that so filled our souls before we came to know Christ. But folks, it was the blessings afforded by that fear that first drove us to Christ as we sang therein the song Amazing Grace. It was that fear that first drove us to Christ for His redemption and for His washing away of our sins. And the necessity for some elements of that fear of the Lord, folks, must always remain. Because the same sin that you and I once enjoyed, very wrongly, but we once enjoyed those sins before we were saved, those same sins will still come back after we're saved. Those same sins that once controlled us, they still ever and always are preying upon our souls enticing us back into their ways. And without the remembrance of this holy fear, you and I can easily enter right back into all of those traps that those sins uh, would afford to us. And yes, God's perfect love does drive out that old fear and dread of eternal suffering and damnation. But listen, these words that we're reading here today, hallowed be thy name, They're there intentionally to remind you and me that there is a necessity for us to remember who our holy God really is. And He'll always remain that way. And to remember that unless we keep some of that holy fear, we can easily slide right back into sin's clutches. So then, praise be to God, His Holy Spirit, 
will keep a healthy measure of that holy fear flowing within us to warn us away from sin. And in those moments when we do wander away from God, that same holy fear will drive us back into His love. God's Word never changes. God's Word never changes, whether it be the Old Testament or the New. Fear of the Lord will always be the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding, as we're told in those scriptures. And it's God's holy wisdom and understanding that guides us to know that we must ever and always hallow His name, His nature, to in every matter of life hold all that God is and all that God does, His purity, His holiness, His righteousness, to hold Him in the highest and greatest esteem of reverence. And so when you pray those words, hallowed be thy name, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's talking about. And that then leads us to the next part of this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In our human condition, it's very difficult for us to fully comprehend the nature and the reign of God's kingdom here on the earth. And that's especially so as it relates to the daily matters of life here on this earth. From most all appearances, we human beings seem to be the ones who are guiding and directing all that takes place all over the earth and all around us each day. From the governance of nations to the ordinary matters of our daily life. But in reality, folks, in reality, that is not so. That is not so. Yes, we see human faces, but behind all the activities of this visible, natural world, there's a whole host of activities that are taking place. And Scripture talks about it very clearly. From the governance of God and His angels to also the abhorrent and evil activities of Satan's hordes of demons. And we can read all about that in Ephesians chapter 6. There's perhaps more, folks, there's perhaps more taking place within the unseen realms than's taking place up here on this surface of the visible realms where you and I live and move and have our being each day. And yes, God is God over all of those things that exist. He is sovereign. He is the ruler over all the heavens and the earth. But within His sovereign reign, For reasons known only to Him, He has permitted His created beings to have a certain amount of freedom, a certain amount of power and governance over both of these these visible realms and also the unseen realms. We know from these scriptures that in some distant, unknown ages past, when the angelic hosts rebelled against God and His rule over them, that God casts them out of heaven, Satan and his demons, and he cast them to this earth. And they set up a kingdom here. They set up a kingdom on this earth. We read about that in Revelation 12. Let me read that to us. And the great dragon, this is verse 9 of chapter 12 of Revelation. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. He's involved 
in every life. These words, which deceiveth the whole world. That's not just the world in general. That's individually, all of us. And know the kingdom of Satan and his demons. They are not absolutely sovereign over this earth. But listen, God has allowed Satan's rule to be powerful. And you and I have to understand that. That God has allowed Satan's rule to be powerful, very powerful. We get a glimpse of the kingship that God permitted Satan to have when we read about the temptations of the Lord Jesus. There in Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, Matthew 4, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. That's what Satan said to the Lord Jesus. Now in those temptations, Jesus knew the eventual end of Satan and he refused Satan's offer. But it does seem clear from these words that Jesus did not deny that Satan had some authority within his offer. Jesus knew that Satan had authority within his offer. That God had permitted Satan to have power over this earth and over some of the kingdoms of this earth. But folks, that kingship of Satan is limited. And its time is coming to an end. And that's what these words that we're praying here in the Lord's Prayer have to do with. From the first moment that Jesus arrived on this earth, the battle for the true kingship over this earth was set into motion. As he came, Jesus brought his kingdom with him. And he began, even in those earliest days, to build his kingdom through the saving of the souls of mankind, bringing each of us into his kingdom. And thanks be to God, he has also enlisted you and me to serve in his kingdom armies. We, through the power of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit within us, And with the words of the gospel, we are marching against the armies of Satan to regain God's kingdom here on this earth. And that's what these words in this prayer is talking about. Folks, yes, God could simply speak the hosts of Satan right out of existence with just the word of his mouth. But he's chosen not to do it that way. But instead to allow us, you and me, mankind, the privilege of joining with his son, the Lord Jesus, to reclaim the earth for his kingdom. As you and I receive the Lord Jesus as our Savior, he comes to live within us, and his kingdom begins to grow and to multiply. He said that to us in Luke chapter 17. He said, when he was asked when his kingdom would come to the earth, he said, the kingdom of God, listen to these words carefully, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is. Or over there it is. Because the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you and me. Praise be to God. Folks, as more and more people have received the blessed salvation that Jesus brought with him, his kingdom has continued to grow. From that very first moment to right now. And it's continuing to grow. And he described how it grows with several of his parables. Listen to these. This, is, uh, this first one is where he used the example of the mustard seed. He said in Matthew chapter 13, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took 
and planted in his field. Now the mustard seed is so tiny, so tiny that it's barely visible. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants. And it becomes like a tree, so that the birds of the air can come and perch on its branches. And he also gave a parable about yeast. Listen to this. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Folks, the kingdom of God spoken about here in the Lord's Prayer truly has come to this earth. It is here now. His kingdom resides within the hearts and the souls of every believer, within your heart, within my heart. And it grows daily. It grows daily as more and more people give their hearts to Christ and salvation. And that's the impetus of these words here in the Lord's Prayer. That we, that you and I, would keep carrying God's truth on forward. Bringing many, many more sons to glory. And yes, though as this battle continues and the successes often seem few, especially as we view our corrupted culture of today... It seems like our successes in bringing others to know Christ are fewer and fewer. We know that we must not be discouraged, but instead we need to be as the Apostle Paul exhorts us. Let me read these words for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. There he says that he, you and I, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Whatever your witness is, you may not like the way you worded something when you were witnessing to someone. Folks, the Holy Spirit will take those words and make them effectual. So, though you being weak, he says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some people. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them and its blessings. Folks, he's talking about you and me. He's encouraging you and me. And then here, as our souls are saved and the kingdom of God continues to grow, we need to also take up this next banner that he gives here in this prayer. And that's that of being a part of bringing the will of God into the daily behaviors and habits of his blessed children starting with our own. It's from the foundation of the pure and holy and righteous nature and name of God that our first calling as His beloved children begins. That of wanting God's will and God's way to prevail in everything that takes place in our lives. Is that a concern of yours as you look around you in your family, in your neighborhood, at the television set? Do you have this desire that he's talking about here? That of wanting God's will and God's way to prevail in everything that takes place in your life. How many times have you thought, how can I know what the will of God is? Folks, you and I really can know what the will of God is, both for ourselves and for the matters that take place all around us each day. We often think, as I said a moment ago, we often think that we don't, especially as all these evil activities of the culture wars swirl all about us, 
and all about our families these days. And they grab hold of us, but they're especially grabbing hold of our innocent family members. And we think to ourselves, I just don't know what to say. Yes, you can know. He tells us that if you have a doubt, he says, go to Romans chapter 12 and read. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because that is your spiritual act of worship. You start with yourself. You start with yourself and you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, which means, yes, you will have to not do some of those things that you're doing, not watch some of those programs on your television that you watch, not participate in some of those conversations that you get caught up in to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And he says there again, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. You and I can know the will of God. Now, folks, there are several instructions here within these words. And they do apply as these different matters come to us each day. As born-again believers, you and I have the presence of the Holy Spirit living within us every moment. And He really will warn you and me away from those conversations that we should not be involved in. But you and I have to be listening for His still, small voice. Also, we're told in these words to be transformed by renewing of your mind. Transformed by renewing of your mind. How do you do that? You do that by doing what I have encouraged us so much over the recent years. And that is by studying these scriptures, gaining knowledge of God, who He is, what He wants of us. We are His dear sons and His dear daughters. And He wants you and me to be just like His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus. And we can only do that if we give ourselves over to a diligent study of these precious words of Scripture. Do you study your Scriptures daily? Do you have a daily Bible reading? Not just a check-off-the-list reading, but a study of these Scriptures. God wants you and me to know Him, to truly know Him, to know His heart. And we can only do that through knowing who He is through these Scriptures. And it's then that we'll be able to train up our children in the way that they should go. Train up our grandchildren in the way they should go. If we write these words of Scripture upon our own hearts, then we're able to teach them diligently to our children. It's then that we're able to speak of them as we lie down, as we rise up, as we walk along our way. And folks, please know that as we openly and freely do the will of God in our own lives that our children, our grandchildren, our relatives and our friends, our neighbors, they'll witness who we are and what we're doing and their lives will be changed. We wonder how that could take place. That seems like a small contribution for us to make. How can my behavior help change the world to bring about God's will? Folks, that's the way God has designed His plan of redemption to be. And that's the way it's been taking place on this earth ever since Jesus came. And it's one soul at a time. It's one soul at a time. And let me read this verse again for us from the prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we confess that we get discouraged when we see all these things taking place around us in this world. But help us to know that as we yield our hearts to you, that you, Holy Spirit, will direct our paths. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.